I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Uh. Check it out now. Uh. No doubt now. Uh. It's the Beating the Book podcast. Gil Alexander, another edition of the pod for your enjoyment during this strange time in all of our lives global pandemic surreal man just completely surreal uh but a credit to all of the guests who are kind enough to come on the show and spend their time talking to me uh super generous of them lending all of their insights and really giving their history as to how they became the guys that they became and really the betters that they became each story in its own right, fascinating. None more so than that of this gentleman right here. I've known him for quite some time now. Uh, one of the most successful sports bettors I know, if not the most successful, Rufus Peabody. Great story, interesting story. Uh, he downplays it. He's modest about it. Uh, but I think you'll find it as fascinating as I do, and hopefully it inspires someone out there. Rufus Peabody on today's Beating the Book podcast. Enjoy. It's a numbers game with your host, Gil Alexander. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Alexander, it is your home for analytics for sports betting analytics. Live actionable sports betting information. It's Gil Alexander. Sirius XM Channel 204, VSIN.com, the VSIN app, Fubo, Sling, Game Plus on down the line. Thank you for tuning in on this Wednesday. Uh, later on the show, coming up, some more college football season win totals, y'all. Uh, yesterday, Chris Felica, the bear uh, for BSPN, was on here to uh, give his thoughts on those that were released by Caesars, also some conference futures. Today, Pete Futak from College Football News will take his stab at what we hope are meaningful prop bets for the coming college football season. Props in terms of the, uh, the futures uh, on conferences, but also season win totals. So Pete will be here hour number two. Before that, uh, very pumped to have my next guest hang out with us. Uh, as I channel my inner uh, my inner Bob Costas or Roy Firestone here during this global pandemic, uh, he is a uh, how could I put this? He will he will be modest after I say this, 
but he's certainly one of the two most successful sports bettors that I know. He'll immediately say, well, then I don't know enough sports bettors. Uh, you may know him perhaps as the co-host of the Bet the Process podcast uh, that he does with his buddy Jeff Ma. Uh, it's my old friend Rufus Peabody. Good morning to you, Rufus. How you doing, man? Um, I'm doing well, Gil. Good morning to you. How are you? How's San Francisco? Oh, it's good, man. I should mention I'm live from San Francisco. You've been here. You've been up uh, at the spot here in San Francisco. Uh, it's, uh, I'm well, man. San Francisco got this right early. They shut down before any other city did and, of course, got some flack for it. But in the end, I think they uh, they have proven to be ahead of things. And uh, the stats bear that out so far. We have not peaked yet. You're in Boston, right? I am in Boston where it's, you know, I don't think they're ahead of things here. I went to the grocery store this past weekend and maybe 10 to 15 percent of people had masks. But I went for a walk yesterday and it was close to like 40 percent of people with masks, despite the fact that a lot of people were jogging or running or rollerblading. So I think it's getting better, but I don't think a lot of people are taking it that that seriously in terms of um, the mask recommendation. Well, I, I'm guessing you asked me this yesterday, how many what the percentage of folks here anecdotally that I think are wearing masks? It's I don't know if it's 50%. I said 50% yesterday. It's probably like 30 or 40% too. Uh, but you just mentioned something that to me is kind of, it, it induces complacency. When the weather is not good, it is very easy to self-quarantine. But when it gets sunny outside, dude, they're all over Chrissy Field running here. People are exercising. And I got the sense yesterday because I've, I've been one of these people who, who have always, you know, looked askance at people who have denied this from the beginning, that this is happening and is as serious as it is. But yesterday, it sort of, it messes with your brain when it's sunny outside and you're like, huh, it just doesn't feel virusy out here, right? Our brains play tricks on us like that. So I kind of get the complacency thing. I'm a little worried about that for a second spot. Yeah. No, I agree. I went to get a sandwich at my favorite sandwich shop, which is actually still open somehow because um, it's like a deli. It's, I guess, essential. You can get it's all takeout anyway. So uh, I was walking back. It was this beautiful spring day and I almost sat down and ate it outside. Then I was like, wait, what am I doing? I'm not supposed to sit down at a park bench. Yeah, that's right. It's Gil Alexander, Rufus Peabody, our guest today here on a numbers game at Visa, the sports betting network. Um, so listen, I, we buried the headline for those who didn't hear you on the show a couple weeks ago. You actually tested positive for COVID-19, the coronavirus. Um, you said at the time that you had a very mild form of it. You were feeling okay. Are you clear? You and your fiance, I should say, are you both sort of clear of any symptoms at this point? Yeah, I've been clear. It feels like it was a month ago that I had the symptoms. So it's been a long time. Um, we've both been clear of symptoms for a while. She has to, she, she works in the medical profession. She's a doctor. So she has to test positive okay. or test negative twice before she can go back to work. So, um, she's, I think, going to go get tested today. Uh, they're not retesting me. I've been cleared to resume being, I, I guess, resume going to the grocery store. That's basically <laughs> That's all you've been doing these days. Uh, <laughs> I was cleared to do that, I guess, two weeks ago. So they, I'm, I'm presumed to be negative at this point. Well, we're all glad to hear that. Um, seriously, I was worried about you there, even though I know you said it was mild. But once you hear someone's positive, you always uh, worry for obvious reasons. Uh, well, Gil, you, Gil, you avoided... You avoided Sloan this year, which proved to be a pretty good decision, probably, given the fact that Did I you? just gave it to everybody there. Yeah, 
and you would have given it to me, I'm sure, as well. No, for sure. Uh, I hope everybody else, I know you mentioned Spanky a couple weeks ago, who's a better that we all know. I hope he's doing better. Uh, I had asked him to come on the show, and he really wasn't feeling up to it at the time. He said he wanted to come on when he felt a lot better. Uh, he was he was geeked to do so, but he just wasn't feeling well. So I think he's I think he's doing better. I don't know if you've talked to him at all. You know, I've talked to him a little bit, and I think he is doing better. So good. That, that's good. Okay, that's good. All right. Um, so obviously, the reason you're here is, and maybe it's not so obvious, is that I, I like to. You know, Alan Boston came on the show a few weeks back. Uh, was able to talk to him for two hours. Talked to Bob Stoll at length, Dr. Bob, about his handicapping process, how he became the better that he became. Bill Krakenberger uh, did that in a couple subsequent weeks when he was on his regular uh, portion of this show. You are one of the more fascinating cases, and I know you probably don't feel that about yourself, um, but I have, I have always felt that way about you, and I think most do, because you are not typical. You do realize that, right? Like, your brain is not the average brain. Gil, is there, an, is there a typical sports better? I don't think that well, exists. That's true. I think the whole point is everybody is kind of quirky and nuanced in ways and thinks differently, and that's why that's why it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Sports betting. Yes, that's a, that's a very clever way of trying to uh, put a false equivalency into what you <laughs> into your brain versus others. But I understand what you're saying. Certainly, it, it's a it's an interesting cross section of humanity. I get it. But what I'm getting at with you is. Your, your background is not typical. Let's let's go back way back. We'll get to the part that's not typical. Uh, I guess it started all typical. You grew up, uh, I, I know this much about you. Like myself, you were of that generation, or I should say the, those two or three decades uh, growing up in the D.C. area where you were, Redskin, you were a Redskin fan and an Orioles fan because we were too young for the Senators um, and too old for the Nationals kind of thing. So I know you yes. grew up a, uh, a sports fan like that. What did your parents do? What do they do, by the way? So my my parents met at architecture school, actually. My dad is an architect. He runs a small residential design firm, which now he does out of my, the basement of our childhood, my childhood house. Um, and my mother, actually, my mom um, worked at a boarding school at, um, doing administrative stuff that was in Alexandria, Virginia, where I grew up. But she was home most of the time. She started working there after I went to college. So she was she was a very active parent and uh, drove me to sporting events and, and all those types of things. And you have but two I was, siblings? I was born one in brother, Mississippi, actually. I was born in Mississippi. Really? Surprisingly, Where? Surprisingly, I don't have an accent, right? Um, Natchez, Mississippi. And I lived there for five years before, before my family moved to the D.C. area. So, and, and two siblings, one sister, one brother, if I'm correct. Right. Correct. Okay. And they're um, both, we're, we're all very different, but they're, they're both like really, really awesome and really talented. I've met your brother and I know your sister is very talented. So I, I would, I would concur with both of that. Um, both of those comments, but you are, uh, in your own right, obviously very talented as well. And I, and I'm not blowing smoke here because folks, you know, who listen to this show are, are probably familiar with you by this point. Again, the, the podcast, uh, that Rufus co-host is called Bet the Process, wherever uh, podcasts are distributed. Um, so here's the thing about you. You're super smart. Let me just tell you what Roxy, do you know what Roxy says about you? Roxy Roxborough, who's the legendary uh, founder of Las Vegas Sports Consultants, who I was just uh, DMing with last night from, from Thailand. And he didn't say this last night, but I know that he says this of you. Do you, do you have any guesses as to what he says about you? What his, what his stock line is? I don't know. 
<laughs> he says he says I always learn something from Rufus. I, I never mean, I forgot feel the same way about Roxy. Yeah, I think we all do about Roxy. Um, but right. when did you know? I, I guess w- when you're a kid and you're a sports fan, like like all of us were sports fans when we were kids, that is very typical. But when when did you know that you were sort of thinking on a level that other kids might not have been? Did that start young for you, or was that something that, that happened only when you got to college age? Um, you know, I, I think it happened. I mean, I don't think I'm thinking on a level that's different from other people. I think that there's a lot of people thinking, well, no, I mean, I, to me, I think that if I tried to do what I do in, in sort of typical finance markets, I would not be nearly as successful because part of it is the fact that I, I just love sports and, and have always loved the numbers side of sports. And it just gives me ideas. I always I'm like, well, I wonder if this has an effect and just basically th- theories to test, which I, I remember like charting. This, this is not typ- uh, things the typical kid does, but I remember watching Orioles games and charting pitches for, this is back in like the 90s, charting pitches for um, reading baseball prospectus cover to cover back when it was <laughs> called, um, yeah. But, yeah. I remember when so Richard typical. Hidalgo, when Richard Hidalgo, remember that guy was on the yes, cover? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, I do. Known PED guy. <laughs> but Richard I like, Hidalgo and, reference. In my spare time, I like worked on a project basically trying to prove that walk rate was way undervalued and important. Um, I guess this is before a little bit before Moneyball, I guess, but um, around that time. Wait, but how old are you at this time when you're trying to figure this out? um, This was, let's see. Actually, no, this was early 2000s. I I was probably, this is end of high school, beginning of college, probably there. there. Okay, um, but the Richard like Hidalgo at nine was, years old. Oh, no, yeah. no, no, but it, yeah. but I was, so we would, so when I, I guess in kindergarten and first grade, I went to this private school and my parents, we'd had a car, we'd have a carpool to work. And my dad would stop um, and pick up a, a newspaper from the newsstand every day. And I would look at the sports section, read the baseball box scores when, and so that was, that was like my daily routine. And I love, and I, like my mom was like, I don't know how you understood what those numbers meant, but you somehow like found meaning in them. So. I think I've always been into the number side of sports, and so that's kind of driven, driven me to, to where I am now. But that that's very interesting what you said though that if you were in financial markets you wouldn't be nearly as successful. So what you know what follows obviously then is I guess what you're saying, and I think it's true. Sports, the the coverage of sports in this country, in many ways, is so primitive. And, and even to this day is primitive, right, in terms of what we focus on, right? The, the notion of third down conversion rate, just throwing out one off the top of my head, the notion that that is some catch-all stat that is meaningful without giving an indication of is a third and two, is a third and 11, right? Just like one quick example. It, it's just a very simplified uh, thing that's out there in, in the mainstream media. And I guess what you're saying is, that's what allows you to be successful. So much of that is that it is just so basic across the board. Well, that and the fact that I, I feel like I have intuitions for sports that I just don't have for general business stuff, because that's sports has been what I've been exposed to and and, and what I think about. Whereas, and, and now like, you know, obviously I'm, I'm spending a little more time in finance related stuff now. And I, I talk to other people that are, that I think are way smarter than me who have these intuitions and I'm like, man, these guys are so smart. Like, Oh, that makes so much sense. But, but are I can't you, like, I don't think of those things myself. Are you Sorry? betting anything with the stock market on a daily basis Bet- during the pandemic? <laughs> it, 
it is betting. I'm not doing any day trading exactly, but I, I'm an investor in the stock market. I have been for a while. Um, the amount I invest has ebbed and flowed, I guess. So I, I, I have made the occasional mistake of, of trying to time it a little bit. And I did, uh, I did sell a lot of stocks back in late February when I thought this was going to be a lot worse than everybody thought. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out, and, and I put a little bit of money back in a few weeks ago when, when the Dow was under 20,000, but, but now I'm like, I should have sold more and bought more. So there's still, yeah. uh, there's that, and, but I, I'm trying to figure out what to position. I mean, I'm mostly a buy and hold guy, passive investor, you know, Vanguard index funds, they have the lowest fees, track the market, but occasionally I will do some gambling. Occasionally. And I, I, I've, I've done, yeah, I've, I've done some, I've done some gambling during, during this. I mean, you gotta, you, where else is the gambling? I don't know esports yeah. yet. So, by the way, um, I I think I mentioned to this uh, this to you a couple weeks ago when you were on, uh, but I got an update. Bookmaker now on an individual uh, Madden simulation, about a hundred thousand dollars in handle. So, I, I think it's a fascinating stat because on the one hand, the reaction of many will be, "Oh my God." degenerates it's ridiculous and there's a little part of my reaction that's that as well but then you do have the thought right afterwards is that any less predictable than the actual nfl is pre-flop like i haven't watched it so i don't know maybe there are patterns maybe there's there's ways for betters to get edge edges i don't i haven't had enough uh interest yet to sit down and find out but i i find that fascinating that just from an evolutionary standpoint, if you ever doubted that betting was in our DNA or if betting was at, at its worst an addiction, there is your there is your proof right there. Or or maybe there actually is an angle to it. Well, to me, it just it, it just says how big their handle must be regularly. I mean, right oh, now they're doing God. this to keep keep the lights on, I guess. But you know, I, it you don't see numbers like you do for New Jersey and Nevada for the offshore world. So you, you're a, uh, we're talking to Rufus Peabody, by the way, um, on the show today. And um, you got to high school. I, I assume you were a successful student because the shows, or, or not the shows, but the universities that you could apply to were probably the entire set of universities. You end up at Yale. Um, tell everybody what your thesis ended up being there. Well, Gil, before we get to that, my high school experience was, I mean, I i was lucky that my parents pushed me academically because I was someone that, like, my sister would do extra credit in a class that she already had 100 in, and I wasn't that person. I, I was someone that I did the bare minimum um, to get the grade I needed to get. And so I knew that, I, to me, like, getting into a good college was, like, sort of the what I was supposed to do in the challenge, and, and I knew that I had to get end up with A's at the end of the year on all the courses in my transcript, but I, but you didn't have to get an A every quarter to do that. In fact, the way it worked, if you got an, an A went into the system as a 4.0 and a B plus went in as a 3.5. And so if you got, um, and grades were determined by, we had four quarters then the final exam. So one fifth for each of those five segments. And so one A and four B pluses averaged out to an A. So I would look, if, if that's what I had, I would look just as good as the guy that got 100 on every test and, and was oh, the star of the class. Man. So basically, I was I was the guy that flew under the radar here. And <laughs> and I was like, I worked as hard as I needed to to sort of get the low A. That was what my goal was. And I didn't sort of say it that way, but like I definitely, I didn't put in <laughs> more work the game than I had to. Then. Yeah. Right. I mean, no. I, I did my German homework 
for second period or for se I did my German homework in calculus class and as well as working on uh, running a bracket contest from the back of the class. Uh, and the funny story, actually, the the calculus uh, teacher, Mr. Nickley, told I remember when I asked him for a letter of recommendation when I was applying to college, he said, I assume you don't want me to talk about the fact you were running bracket, you were running bracket contests from the back of the class. I was like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you were that kid. You were that kid as well. What's the, what school was this, Rufus? Just so, just so I am familiar. T.C. Williams High School. T.C. Williams wasn't T.C. Williams featured in the uh, the Denzel Washington movie as well? Was that T.C. Williams? It was. Remember the Titans. Remember it's, the Titans. It's our claim to fame. Although our so our football team when I was there was not nearly as successful. I think we won maybe four games in four years. And I, I still remember we were losing, I think 49 to nothing at senior year at homecoming at halftime. Um, oh man, not good. I wasn't there though. I was, I was a runner. I ran cross country. And so I, I didn't have, I didn't have to go to any of the games luckily. Oh, I could see you running cross country. You have that cross country uh, bill. What was the uh, so TC Williams had that grading system? I had no idea. Do, I think do all they the still do. do they still have that system? I'm sure. I mean, I, I don't know. It's been many years, but but the way the way it works, uh, right? I mean, because because A's are on a range. But when I found this out, I mean, it was it was a game changer. But what a B was the, goes uh, in as a three. A B goes in as a three point though. So if you have one B, it's like it's it's a little harder. So you, I needed I needed to make sure I got at least B pluses. See, this changes everything, Rufus. Perhaps you weren't as smart as I uh, gave you credit for. Exactly. See, I was not, uh, I was not the superstar student in the class, and I I managed to be like you know well rounded. That was the thing everybody was supposed you know you know that was what everybody was talking about to get into good college. You need to be well rounded, do all these extracurriculars. I just kept busy in general. Like I, I refereed I refereed youth soccer games as a weekend job. I umpired youth baseball. I was I was in the band. I you know. Like I did all these things just because, you know, I, I kept myself busy and, and I enjoyed all the sports stuff. I played every, you know, I played sports every season as well as I did um, stats for the basketball team my senior year. I ran their statistics um, department, I guess. I don't even know what you call it. So, so somehow my senior year, I ended up as well as running into a track. I, I ended up with four senior letters and four varsity letters in three seasons. So, so I, wow. I graduated with 13 varsity letters in 12 seasons as a result of that. So, I mean, I, but, but it wasn't like with the intention of yeah, building up my resume. It was because like, this is the stuff that I wanted to do. Um, Rufus Peabody, one of the most successful betters I know, if not the most successful, uh, mild mannered, average uh, childhood, I guess that's very relatable. Uh, we'll get to what his college thesis was. That's where the betting really goes in full bore. Rufus Peabody, today on A Numbers Game at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome back to A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. Rufus Peabody, my guest today on A Numbers Game at Visa, the Sports Betting Network. We'll do some college football season win totals and conference futures later with Pete Futak from College Football News. Uh, Rufus, you were telling me off air, uh, first of all, 13 varsity letters in 12 seasons, cross country, indoor track, tennis. Are you good at tennis? Not anymore. I, I wasn't great. I, I was a hustler. I was, well, I think, we were... in, in my best, like number four on our <laughs> on our on our team. Uh, right. Hustled in tennis. Hustled the grading system. I was a hustler. Um, yeah. And what what was that you just told me off air? In addition, you were sort of like a reporter of sorts for sports. Oh, I volunteered. I you know I, I covered 
local college basketball games for the local connection newspapers, sort of the commuter newspapers out there. So um, the Alexandria Gazette packet, uh, there are other ones. And so I would go see like a Mount Vernon versus Hayfield basketball game and, and write an article for and, and for free. And, and I think the sports editor, this guy, Rich Sanders, I still remember his name, must have loved me. And so, uh, but it was good because yeah. at the time I thought I wanted to be, I thought I wanted to be a sports journalist. That's what I thought I wanted to do. And, but I realized right. when I wrote these articles, looking back at some of the articles I wrote, I see that what I was kind of doing was sort of, I wasn't covering just the, the what happened, but kind of the why it happened. I was like, this team's like, they're planning to penetrate and kick out generated open shots. And that's why this happened. So creating narratives, but, but also really kind of getting into the analysis part of it. You know, I had Chris Felico on the bear from ESPN's college game day uh, yesterday, and I tried to do the same thing with him. And, and, and it was a fascinating story how he got to ESPN. And I just think there's so much to inspire young people with with these stories, because someone inevitably and probably multiple people in, in all of these cases will hear you will hear Chris and will just be like, yes, this is exactly who I am. I should embrace this. Maybe I was, uh, maybe I'm not the coolest kid in the room, but if this guy <laughs> became the greatest, no, no, seriously. And I don't say that disparagingly because I relate to all of this stuff in different ways. Right. But we're kind of the same type. Yeah. Uh, the other thing you mentioned that is so common to, to those of us who bet sports and bet sports seriously. And in your case, professionally is you ran, you, I don't want to gloss over this detail. You were running an NCAA bracket from the back of the class. Is that what you were doing? Yeah, I was, yeah. What was the format? Do you remember? I'm not sure. I think we gave bonus points to under to picking underdogs. But, you know, I think I, it was like five bucks or something. And, and people gave me the brackets. And this is before this is before everybody had laptops and everything like that. So uh, I would I would have to go through manually and, and check, you know, which which picks won and which picks lost. And now, here, up here's, and what, I had, here's what I always find interesting about that stuff. So in. 1985, this will date me, uh, I was a huge Georgetown fan. That was the year that Georgetown was unbeatable, right? Like they were the behemoth. I didn't even know anything about betting odds at the time. But somehow, instinctively, I knew, I went around to all my classmates and I'm like, I got Georgetown, you got the other 63 teams or 47, whatever it was at the time. I think it was the first year, if I'm not mistaken, of 64. Might've been the next year, I can't remember. I think it was the first year. But I said, I got Georgetown, you got the other 63 teams. But uh, you have to give me five, like you have to give me five times the profit if I win. Like I just didn't, I just knew it somehow innately. And you just mentioned that you rewarded upsets. Like, did you even know that from anywhere else, or was that just something you came up with? I don't know. I feel like I, I, I wouldn't have come up with that on my own. I'm, I'm not that smart, but I think it was one. It, it was one format that people used for these things because I didn't want like. I liked picking the upsets, and I had friends that kind of liked that too. And so I think we wanted it to be more interesting. All right, so you go to Yale, and I'm sorry to fast forward through your life because I want to get to the to the betting and your <laughs> approach. But you're at Yale, obviously one of the great Ivy League schools in this country, and you decide to do as your thesis. First of all, what was your major? Uh, economics. 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 Well, I, then, I was uh, either going to be then, I was either going to be yeah. political science, history, or economics. I thought I ended up I ended up liking economics and liking the the approach, the tools it gives you to approach things, the the kind of the way of thinking, not necessarily doing it towards you know I don't care about interest rates or forecasting the macroeconomic climates or anything like that, but but I like the sort of the way I, I liked the microeconomic side of it and the the sort of and that approach has been useful for me as a sports better for sure. 
yeah, much more practical. I ended up being a political science major and knew while I was a political science major that I would never apply it to anything. Um, so good for you for that. So what ends up being your thesis then? So my thesis actually ended up being um, on the psychological inefficiencies of baseball betting market. The basically process was, uh, I'm looking at these pictures here, the process was undervalued and outcomes were overvalued. But initially, Gil, I, I got money from Yale. They actually paid for me to go out to Las Vegas for this internship with Las Vegas sports consultants where I was going to I was going to be doing my senior thesis on like on corruption and amateur athletics and like point shaving and stuff. But I, I, I kind of I went a different direction. All right. Let's put a, a holder in that. I want to hear all about that. We'll talk about that after the break and then we'll get into when Rufus first knew he could make a living at this, what was sort of the moment he knew that he had some notoriety, all of that. Rufus Peabody on a numbers game right here at VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome back to A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. Quick Picks Classic offers matchups of pro sports superstars determined by their historical game stats and then playable in a head-to-head parlay game with Quick Picks Classic. You play these matchups and win money on them, as well. You can select your first ticket for as little as 10 cents and win up to $50,000 for each entry. New virtual NBA matchups are posted each hour, giving you more opportunities to cash big tickets. NFL games will launch soon as well. Congratulations, by the way, to last week's top winners at Quick Picks Classic. Mikey Nose, J-Waw, Odin Machine, and Jitnoid. If I mispronounced any of those, my sincerest apologies. Their trick? Submitting several tickets each day. For details, go to quickpicks.com slash bonus. That's quickpicks.com slash bonus. It's Gil Alexander. It's a numbers game right here at VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. Rufus Peabody, kind enough to join us uh, for the hour. I might need an extra segment after this, uh, Rufus, so it might bleed in the second hour if you can afford me that time. That's fine. Uh, just because I want to flesh this out. For, first thing, and I probably buried the headline with you. I don't know if I buried the headline. I'm... I'm sort of being tongue-in-cheek there, but your name is Rufus Peabody. How many people, because uh, you sound like a horn uh, section player in Earth, Wind, and Fire. Like, how many people hear your name and I, I sort of clarinet. seize on that? You <laughs> <laughs> played clarinet in the, Earth, the Wind, and Fire? masculine yeah. instrument, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have asked you that. I was, what, what instrument? Clarinet. Um, interesting, interesting name. Do people stop? First of all, your co-host, Jeff Ma, can't pronounce it. Do you know this about Jeff? It's not Peabody. It's Peabody, right? Uh, I mean, he's a Boston guy, so he, he likes he likes to represent. Or former um, Boston guy. He lives, he, he's out there with you in, in the, well, in the Bay Area, but, you know, he was... Oh, yeah. He, I, I don't know if you know this, but he went to MIT. No, I do. I'm familiar. <laughs> <laughs> huh, I've heard that before. I am familiar with that story. Um, all right. So your thesis is on the inefficiencies in the baseball betting market. And what was your intention to go to Las Vegas and do what? Um, my intention was to go to Las Vegas and work for Las Vegas sports consultants. That's actually, that was, that was, well, it wasn't my original intention. It was never my original intention. I, I never even knew that I didn't even know. I didn't know much about the world of sports betting at all. I remember actually, I think I signed up for my first offshore sports book account, like back in maybe 2006 or something. And I was like, I'm going to, and I think I, I lost a hundred dollars really quickly. I put, I think I, uh, I still remember I betted on like the angels laying minus 150 or something. I was like, oh, they have to be more likely than 60% to win. So there's no analytics behind it, but I, I didn't know much about the gambling world at all. So I, I wasn't one of these people that was like a gambler their whole life. And, and, and I think 
like I'm not naturally a gambler. I've always been sort of conservative financially. I naturally am someone that loves games though. And so gambling is kind of a game. And so when I, when I found out this whole world existed, I like, uh, you know, uh, I, I kind of dove into it, but, but I still, even after doing the internship at Las Vegas sports consultants and getting an offer to go work there full time, I kind of explored my options. Um, I applied for some jobs in finance, uh, which I didn't get. And, and then, so then, so backup plan which went I to Las get. Vegas. Yeah, I made it to like third round interviews, but I wasn't, <laughs> I'll be honest, the first time I had one of these sort of finance consulting interviews, when they were like, how many cell phone towers do you think there are in the United States? Like that kind of question, that was the specific one I got, and I didn't even know what a cell phone tower was at the time. I was like, like, I, I had no idea how cell phones actually worked. It was magic to me. But, but you love stuff like that, yeah. Well, the thing is, the funny thing is, I was so, I bombed on that, but I feel like, I'd be I'm, I'd be so much better at that stuff now, but I think sports betting in a way kind of taught me how to think. That's interesting. How did you become aware of Las Vegas sports consultants if you weren't a gambler to begin with? Like that's a pretty obscure thing, especially back then. Yeah, Gene Wojciechowski uh, for ESPN.com wrote an article about LVSC. This was it was during March Madness, I think, of two thousand seven or maybe two thousand six. I think and I really remember this. Yeah. He basically, he was embedded at, at LVSC during Selection Sunday. And I think the whole thesis of the article was like, you think you know sports, like you're actually square. These guys are the sharps. And, and, and this is like, this is how they work. And, and I was like, this seems so cool. It seems like academia for, for sports, kind of. And, and I was like, I want to. As Oprah would say, your aha moment or reading that sort yeah. of thing. So when, when you got there, and let's be honest here, and you spent some time there, were you shocked at how primitive it all was? Yeah, I, I was shocked that, that as a as an economics major, I had more of a statistical background than anybody. But the thing is, these people are all they were very, very smart, but they um, and they they just didn't have the sort of formal statistics. They, they couldn't run like significance tests, stuff like that. Right. But they but they were very, very good with numbers. And and what's interesting is I think Kenny White had me like test out something to try to figure out the value of a three point shot versus a rebound versus an assist in basketball, basically come up with some formula for him um, to test what his was. And the funny thing is, like it almost matched exactly what he had developed just from his intuition, which was just absolutely incredible to me. So you have a bunch of people that had spent their careers out, you know, looking basically um, making numbers on sporting events and they had their systems and, and it was logical and they were very, very smart people. Um, but isn't, isn't that but amazing? Was, what, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. It, you know, you said that about Kenny, Kenny's a frequent guest on the network uh, here at VEASAN. Um, so Kenny still, and Kenny does things on his own CBS sports line, I believe as well. But what you just said to me is very interesting. And I always say this, the reason I started doing a podcast on sports betting so many years ago, and I'm doing this show now is because everything about the subject fascinates me. And you just hit on one of my favorite things, which is, and I always use you by the way, in this example, I say, I know the most mathematical guys in the world who do things, you know, on one side of the spectrum to approach, uh, approach sports betting. And then on the far end of the spectrum, there are guys that just from, you know, being involved in it for as long as they have some more scammy than others. We can get into that later. Um, but some just by sheer experience, right? And oftentimes those two approaches end up at the same answer. That's amazing, isn't it? Like it's endlessly fascinating to me. 
No, it really is. There's not sort of, it's not one size fits all. And everybody, and, and by the way, the fact that you consider me the mathematical guy is very interesting because I don't consider myself like the mathematical guy. I'm a guy that, you know, I have somewhat of a statistical background, but I'm, I'm not going to, I mean, there's, there are a lot of people that are way, way better at the, at the math than I am for sure. Well, and, I, and I so use I, Dr. Bob as, as well as a math guy too, sometimes as well. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, he's I, a doctor. He's, we established that he was not actually a, a trained physician last time he was on. Um, so I want to get into that, Rubus, because what I'm curious about after the break is, so you're at Las Vegas Sports Consultants. You have your first entree into the business, this world of Las Vegas. You come all the way over uh, from Connecticut and are immersed in this. And at some point, something must have triggered that said to you, I might be better off on the other side of this. I might be better as a better O-R, E-R. We'll get into that, how that sort of uh, clicked for you. If it was a sudden thing or something that happened over time, Rufus Peabody, profiling the better right here on A Numbers Game at Visa. Welcome back to A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. No masters, no problem. The golf issue for Point Spread Weekly is ready for download today. And among the golf features, Matt Humans previews the potential second Tiger versus Phil mano a mano matchup. Wes Reynolds handicapping all 96 golfers in the Masters field in November. Say that again. Masters field in November and available for futures wagers. Plus, we get you prepped for the NFL draft and wait for it. Table tennis if you're so inclined to bet it. Now's the time to become a VEASAN Plus subscriber. It's free. You won't have to decide what you want to do, pay or cancel, until at least one of the major sports returns. Just go to VEASAN.com slash subscribe to sign up. That's VEASAN.com slash subscribe. Uh, Rufus, we were, I was saying off air that it was poor form of me to ask you to stay an extra segment while we were on air. Um, but pesky commercials get in the way. I wish it were podcast form. We could just fly through it, but, uh, we're still in college or we're still, we just got past college. Yeah. Um, but so, so you're at Las Vegas sports consultants, you're around smart people, but at some point you have to realize, um, all right, maybe, maybe my, and this is my words. It's not, it's never going to be your words, but you're like, my brain is uh, bigger than everybody else's here. No. Okay. I'm just kidding. No, no, it's but, not you're, bad, but, but I had a different approach. I think you had a different approach. So what, yeah. When did it trigger where you're like, Hey, maybe I, maybe I should actually be a better. So at the time, so I, I, I was making a salary of $25,000 a year. So I was scraping by and I had a little bit of, I had a little bit of savings. Um, but I was very lucky that I was very privileged that I did not have um, I didn't have any student loans or anything to pay off. So so that was, you know, so I was in a fortunate position that, you know, where if I did, I wouldn't probably would not have been able to take a job making twenty five thousand dollars a year. So um, I, I was betting, uh, betting props, betting derivatives. I built out money line charts. I remember I would get off of work at LVSC and then and this is before smartphones. I'd have a list of. Um, I'd write down a list of of bets and casinos I need to go to and bets to place and and go there and be, you know betting a hundred bucks, fifty bucks, three hundred bucks um, a pop and and also doing some card counting and playing blackjack and trying to slow, slowly build a bankroll and I you know I had some success on props in fact the Super Bowl of the it was the two thousand nine Super Bowl so Steelers and Cardinals which to this day I still have not actually watched. <laughs> where I, it's a pretty good yeah. game. You may want to check it out. Seriously, uh, you know, I just know what the final stat line was. I didn't know that Larry Fitzgerald was like shut down for three quarters and then went off in the fourth quarter. But I just popped, saw the final yeah. stat line. Yeah, that was that was an under that didn't win for me. But 
but I, I had, uh, let's see, I had about $10,000 to my name. I borrowed $10,000 from a friend and I had someone at work invest $40,000 in, in me, um, where I was getting a 20% free roll and which is honestly quite, quite generous on the free roll. If you think about it, it's one game, like I was quite diversified, but, but I ended up hitting Gary Russell to score the first touchdown at, I think 25 to one odds or something like that. And for, uh, you know, and that was, that was a pretty big hit. Cause I had, I think a total of like 50,000, 50 some thousand invested. And I think the return to profit of like 27,000. So, um, so it was, you know, and then obviously, I mean, I think I made 8,000 after that since, you know, I had to pay people back and, and all that, but, but that was kind of, I remember thinking at the time, like, like, where am I going with this job? Like my parents were fine with me, you know, moving out here that they knew this was kind of my passion, but they wanted my, my dad would always say, he's just concerned that I was, I wasn't, um, that it wasn't like a dead end, right. That they're basically like, what's my plan. And so I didn't really know what my plan was. But I felt like if I had bombed in that Super Bowl, it might have been worth saying, well, what am I actually doing here? And so I think that Super Bowl, though, without that Super Bowl, it wasn't just the fact that that I did well. It was it was actually a chance meeting I had that kind of set the stage for me to to bet for a living where I, I was in line at the Golden Nugget betting um, or to, to bet props. Actually, they just released their sheet. I happened to just randomly be there. It was the Friday. It was yeah, that first Friday after conference championships. Um, I'm and this one guy was already there. Like he, the sheet comes out, I grab it. He he's already in line. Um, he uh, and, and he was. I think he he spent 40 minutes betting props and ordered. Uh, I think he ordered like a Jack and Coke from a cocktail waitress while he was up there betting his props. Um, and the cocktail waitress came back with the drink. And he was still betting the props. So um, this he was, and so I when I ran into him at the Palms, I saw him asking about NBA props at the Palms back in March. I kind of followed him out of the book, and as he tells the story, he thought I was going to try to mug him in the parking lot, and so he had his <laughs> hand on his mace, and because you're still missing, <laughs> exactly right. I was like, yeah. really. Um, but but I he he was a professional sports better and, and he kind of introduced me to that world and and I through you know and I met him and his partners and sort of things kind of went from there. If you run into Gary Mark. Russell, well, what do you what do you say to him? Do you hug him? You know, yeah, Gary Russell in a way is kind of an MVP in my life, I guess. Who would have yeah. thought? So okay, so that's a great story, and and certainly I I understand how it it triggers it for you. Were you successful across the board? Did you realize very quickly that you were better at other supports than others? How did that go from there? So, so my, I guess I had my baseball model I had built when I did my senior thesis. So I, I, the senior thesis actually was looking at inefficiencies in the market, psychological inefficiencies. So it was basically rather than predicting a game, it was predicting what was going to be mispriced based on sort of the sabermetric stuff of the time. So the fact that a pitcher that had allowed a high batting average on balls in play had been unlucky and was probably going to be undervalued by the market and a pitcher with a high strikeout, you know, and a guy a pitcher with a low strikeout rate and a high walk rate is, but had been good on batting average on balls in play, like the Matt Keynes of the world would probably be 
overvalued. So there'd be value. Always there. had but, a low Mavic, Matt Cain for years. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, he, he, he managed to sustain it for quite a while before he dropped off a cliff. Right. Yeah. Sort of yeah. the Jared Weaver type too. But, uh, so I, I guess at the end of that though, I actually built a model as well, which I'd been working in refining. And so I, um, so I guess I got my start. Um, I got a 20% free roll from, um, from this, this betting group and to, to bet baseball and a month into it, we had, or they had made, or I, or I, I should say I had made about, uh, I think 20, $25,000 was, was my cut. And they were like, why are you still, uh, you know, why are you still working at LVSC? Why not? Uh, why not? You know, you're cutting your own throat at that point. So they basically gave me a full time offer. I would continue to get 20 percent um, free roll and on the other sports they're doing as well. And so it went from there until I, you know, had enough to buy into the bankroll. And then. Yeah. And then the rest, the rest is history. You still have a good relationship. Do you still have a good relationship with the guys you used to work with? Yeah. Fantastic yeah. guys. Fantastic, guys. Um, so your first – so correct me if I'm wrong. You, you'll tell me here. Here's what I know about you, that your staple sports – and maybe there are more that I don't know about. But I know you to be a baseball guy. I know you to be a golf guy. You love betting golf. Uh, but the thing that you – and you touched on it by, by your story about uh, standing in line there at the Golden Nugget. The thing that you gained notoriety for first was betting Super Bowl props. And was it the Washington Post that did a piece on you? What year was that? I guess that was two, the 2011 Super Bowl. Very Googleable, yes, uh, for Super Bowl props. How did you? How did you? Well, you, you know about how that you know how that whole thing originated, by the way. The, the, no, the no, Washington Post story was was I was trying to pimp out the Massey Peabody ratings to Dan Steinberg at the Washington Post, and so he ended ah. up uh, with, with without really having much success. But he ended up coming to me and was like, hey, I actually want to do a story on like a, a better betting on all the Super Bowl prop stuff. And so that's kind of it kind of happened from that. But but the the Massey, P, the Massey Peabody thing was was the reason I, I got in touch with him in the first place. So explain to people, because we have two minutes here before the break, uh, the break, explain to people. So Cade Massey was your professor, one of your professors at Yale? He's my senior thesis advisor. Oh, I see. And so the two of you yeah. got together at some point to, to do these ratings? So he was he was a mentor to me, and he approached me in I guess the summer of 2010. He had been approached by this guy Michael Salfino, who's a reporter um, for was a reporter for Meadowlands Media Group, which does stuff for the Wall Street Journal. And he had this idea to do quantitative NFL ratings, and so he he approached Kate about it. Kate was like, "I know the guy that I want to do this with," and that was me. And so I think Kate initially said that you know I would I would do I would do ninety. Percent, I'd have, you know, I, I would have to do ninety percent of the work, but um, it was something like fifty percent of the ideas, ninety percent of the work. <laughs> but Massey comes it, before Peabody. Yeah, that's another yeah. stipulation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you know, Kate, Kate's a Kate's a heavyweight in in that world. So, all right. When we come back, Rufus, I want to get into when you first knew then that you could make a living at this. How you felt about that first uh, notoriety in the Washington Post what you're betting if we had a full sports calendar what you would actually be betting would you be betting every sport year round or what sports do you focus on uh and then what this is probably a whole nother tentacle of this 
what kind of moves your needle today? Like as you look to your future, will you be betting sports for the rest of your days? Or uh, does a guy like you who uh, has a pedigree from Yale and is a thinker, um, introspective, analytical, do you have your sights set on other things beyond sports betting? Uh, you and I used to have conversations about this back in the day a lot. Curious where your head's at? Rufus Peabody right here on a numbers game at Beeson. It's a numbers game with your host, Gil Alexander. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. It is Gil Alexander, hour number two of a numbers game right here at Beeson, the Sports Betting Network, Series XM Channel 204, Beeson.com, the Beeson app, Fubo, Sling, Game Plus, profiling Rufus Peabody uh, this morning. Um, I don't know if we have uh, Rufus still up on video. We might not be able to say it's pretty. Oh, uh, but we we can certainly still talk to him, and we can flash pictures of his uh, his life uh, in front of us as we talk to Rufus. Um, and let me just sort of kick it into what you have learned about yourself. I remember <clears throat> you telling me on more than one occasion, and I've sat with you on a college football Saturday back in the day when you're just betting rampantly. Um, and you always used to say, you know, if, if I insert my opinion or my emotions into things or my feelings or my thoughts, it usually doesn't go as well for you. So you're you're super you're super by the numbers. And I'm curious, do you consider your approach, <clears throat> excuse me, very complicated? So it occurs to me that for people listening to this and they're like, OK, this is super inspiring. I, I want to be just like this guy. I'm just worried I'm not as smart as this guy and I don't have the, the, the background that he does. Do you consider what you do complicated? Is it generally simple to you? Like, like what's the threshold? Yeah, that's a good question. It, it kind of is complicated and simple at the same time. So the framework is simple. I'm not someone that is, I'm not, it depends on the sport, of course, but like for football, I'm not simulating, I'm, I know people that are, but I'm not simulating a matchup between a left tackle and a right defensive end. Um, I'm not, I'm not simulating at a play level for football either. Um, what I'm doing is contextualizing, I, I'm, I'm contextualizing performance and basically trying to figure out what is predictive and what isn't, and from there building a model. And so it's, um, and, and then, and honestly, you can get into the weeds on any one individual part, but but the, I guess the thing is, and, and Massey Peabody, I mean, the kind, of, the kind of basis of that was, was we're gonna do something simple, but we're gonna do it well. And so we focused at the beginning on four, only four different stats. It was, we had rushing, passing, play success and scoring efficiency. And we actually ended up building a model that, that was, that was quite good. It, 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 it did well for, for many, many years against the, against the NFL spreads. And it was just literally based on those four stats, but adjusting for opponent quality, figuring out how much, how predictive it is. Um, you know, adjusting for the fact that, as you said, like third and two is very different than third and 12. And so, um, and so it, it really comes from, um, it, it each stage being able, saying, what is skill? What is luck? How can I quantify this? And so the model at the end is a sum of all these different things where weighted bit by how predictive they are. And so, um, I, I don't know if you want to call that simple or complicated because you can, you can dive, you I mean, you, you can get really, really deep in like in anything. I mean, you can say, well, you know, this 90 yard touchdown pass to Wes Welker on a screen, like was cause this defender fell down. Should we really credit this guy with 90 yards? Like predictively speaking, 
things like that. What is what is skill? What is luck? What is quantifiable? And I would add, um, otherwise stated, what is sustainable? What is not sustainable? We're talking to Rufus Peabody. It's Gil Alexander right here on a numbers game at Visa and the Sports Betting Network. Uh, was I right when I said baseball, golf, props are still your bread and butter, or am I missing something? No, you're right. I, I've kind of dabbled in some other stuff, but I, I've I've sort of gotten a little more into the DFS world recently as well. And really? over the last year, yeah, I, I wish I had had looked into it earlier. Actually, I, I think there are some real opportunities there, um, especially. I mean, there still are, but I think there were even more opportunities, you know, five years ago or so that that I missed out on. But I, I was actually planning on taking this season off of baseball because I am focused on some some other things. I'm trying to. I'm trying to devote more time to things that are going to pay off long term. And I honestly, at this point, I'm not sure baseball is one of those things anymore, at least baseball really? betting. There's wow. there's just there is so much data out there and there's a lot of really smart people attacking it. And and so I, I just don't I don't see myself building a business around it or anything. And so I'm trying to fit like you mentioned talking potentially about other things and and. I'm trying to figure out where where kind of I'm going in this industry. I think when you do anything for long enough, it gets a little bit, um, I don't want to say stale, but but it it becomes a little bit tedious and repetitive. Uh, and so I'm I'm trying to and and I got in. Well, I would say I got in at the right time, but I feel like if I'd gotten in ten years earlier, it would have definitely been the right time. It feels like yeah. you know it gets harder and harder to win, uh, you know, every year. And so uh, I'm just trying to. Uh, I don't know if I'll still be able to, uh, I don't know if I'll still be a winning better in, in 10 years. And so I'm trying to figure out what I, you know, I'm relatively young. I'm 34. I want to figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life. So yeah, you've got your whole life in front of you as, as, as our parents would say, and it is really true at 34. Um, and I think, you know, look, just right there is also something that should be just emphasized. The fact that you have the ability to sort of self-assess and assess the market in front of you and say, um, these things don't last forever. And and I think you're right. You know, when you say it was 10 years before, listen, I hear stories when, when we talk to Roxy and to Chrissy and all these, uh, these guys who have been in the industry from its inception. I mean, imagine what it was like then. Alan Boston can tell you stories. So I think that that awareness is also what makes you successful. The fact that you know that, um, there are other factors. It's not just you, right? It's it's the general market, and that is always changing. I've, I've said often on the show, baseball, just five years ago, I would have said it's my favorite sport, period, to bet. And now I'm like, the way this game has changed with pitching, it's just so different. For goodness sake, some teams start games with closers now, right? <laughs> call them their opener. So it's it's totally different to quantify when, when folks come in uh, to the bullpen now. It's much earlier than it used to be. It's a whole bunch of things. So you recognize that things are evolving. So then, you know, you and I used to have discussions about bigger picture stuff beyond the industry that you, you didn't know. Did you want to spend the rest of your life betting sports? You, you struggled, if I'm correct, and, you, and I believe I'm characterizing this correctly. You struggled with the, you know, was it meaningful enough to do it for the rest of your days on earth? Talk about that if you could for a second, but you also just mentioned within the industry. So maybe you're not completely thinking of one day leaving the industry. What is it that, you, that, that is passionate for you now? within the industry? And then what do you think about outside of it? What is, what am I, pa okay, I think the thing I'm most passionate about in the industry right now is the nonprofit idea, the, the, the American Betters Coalition that 
um, that I've been working on with with Captain Jack, among other people. Um, Captain Jack Captain Andrews Jack. on Twitter. Yeah. He's yeah, yes. really really smart guy, and he is more plugged into the legal sports betting landscape than anybody I know. It's it's crazy anyway. how he knows what he does. I don't I don't know how he knows all these things. Like, but he knows everything. Um, I asked so, him. I asked so, him. I said, when you come on the show, what is it that you want to talk about? And I didn't expect him to answer that. And he, and and I followed. He said he goes, oh yeah, all the legal all the different, you know, ramifications in every jurisdiction, that kind of thing, which I didn't expect that to be the answer. And I followed him on that since then. And he is, you're right, bar none, the, the top authority, I would say on that. He might. Oh, you for know, sure. And he's, that. he's actually, I'll plug, you know, he's, he's starting a YouTube channel and he, I think um, he's doing these Friday webcast webinar things where he's trying to um, make people, people better, betters help their process. So Good for him. Um, Good for him. he's, he's, he's a great follow on Twitter, but I'm passionate about that. I think it's something that, uh, I mean, cause I've always kind of been outspoken about, um, I guess fairness in the industry and, and that's largely been directed at touts and, and my stance on the tout industry is I think pretty well known. Um, I don't need to go into detail on it, but I mean, I think no, 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 we can't. right I now mean, there's, we, an, we, we, I, cause I'm curious about that with you. So you have always been passionate about it. You and I have certainly, uh, talked about it before, uh, in some more contentious situations than others, <laughs> for those who who uh, don't know. Um, but do you ever think to yourself, because the, the only pushback I ever gave you on it, because I think the cause is a good one, right? I think we all mm -hmm. agree oh, this is an industry that for, you know, in history has just been a, a horrible one, generally speaking. I guess my only pushback with it was, boy, you're really trying to save the world. Is that really something you want to get into? And then the other thing that I that I was super questioning of was be careful not to throw every human being into the same barrel, right? Those were the only two things I would push back on. So I don't know. Maybe you are as passionate. Maybe you you listened to that and didn't care or thought I was full of it. I don't know. Uh, what is your approach to it now? No, I mean I think it's hard to have a one size fits all approach to anything. Right. I mean, there's always room for nuance. And I think that's a good point. But I mean, I just think in general, it's just not a sustainable business model, because if you're if you're if you are a successful handicapper, you're giving out quality information, you're going to be moving lines and the vast majority of your subscribers are not going to be able to get down at the price you listed. And you and I both know that the way markets, you know, markets are efficient enough that that if you're if you're taking a worse price, it's going to be really hard to win long term. And so, I mean, obviously, we all know the Vegas Daves of the world are, you know, that's, that's, you know, those are salesmen those are the obvious and, ones. Yeah. right. You know, scammers and, and like, he's a marketing genius and that's what, you know, he's not a, a winning sports better. Um, but I just think even if you are, even if you do have good information, I think it's, it, it's sort of the more successful you are, uh, or the better, better you are, the harder it becomes to sort of maintain or to, to, build a, um, to sort of build yourself as a tout, um, at least to do it in a sustainable way. And so, but, but I think right now, I mean, the American betters coalition isn't about touts as much. I mean, it's about consumer protection for betters largely. And, and I guess protecting betters from touts is, is one aspect of that, but the bigger part is just the opportunity we have now, given legalization, uh, is happening in the majority or is happening or is in the process of happening in the majority of the states right now. And so um, I, I think it, it's an opportunity um, to get it right. And I think, unfortunately, we're 
we're not really doing it. The people that are writing these laws are essentially um, being educated on sports betting by lobbyists. And these are not lobbyists for betters. These are lobbyists for um, for operators, for leagues, for data providers, for, you know, B2Bs like the Cambys and the SB techs of the world, right? And so so betters don't really have a voice and you end up with, with legislation that ends up, you know, hurting betters. I mean, you look at a state like New Hampshire and they DraftKings has a, a monopoly there. Betters don't have any other options. And so the whole point is if you want the U.S. sports betting market to be competitive, you need to have it, you, you need to, um, it needs to kind of make inroads into the offshore world, I think. Because uh, I think a lot of people don't, uh, you know, I know there's the people that that, that hate on the offshore world um, and and say that, that they aren't subject to the same taxes and regulations, so they'll always have a competitive advantage and they can offer credit. But at the same time, you know, people have to, it's, you know, you're tr- you're trusting. Uh, you have to trust some site in Aruba or Costa Rica, or wherever it is, right? And so, um, but I think if you want to if you want to compete against the offshore, you need a good product. And and I think uh, when you see sort of these monopolies, um, I, I think these books are not really doing that. They're just trying to compete against the other books in the United States or in the, in their state. And so I, I just don't think there's going to be the same innovation in the state like New Hampshire, where you only have one operator, whereas in New Jersey, where you have a, you know, a ton of different operators, I think it's better for the consumer. And so anyway, sorry, I I didn't, I I didn't mean to ramble on that, but no, 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 no. As you, as you talk about that, I mean, that really gets me jazzed. I mean, look, you, where you and I are from like DC leaps to mind as one of the more embarrassing jurisdictions, right. In terms of what, what they're doing. Uh, And you bring up the offshore point and I try to list, look, I try to do this on a numbers game all the time. I don't know what others do, but I bet, I bet, you know, when sports is going on over 300 days a year, 340, 350 days a year, I mean, that's what, that's what I do. This is relatable to those who listen to this show and to, you know, to not act like, uh, offshore is a thing. And in some respects, a good thing, uh, is doing this inauthentically. And, you know, there was a statement made by the president of the uh, American Gaming Association over the weekend. I'm not sure if you caught it. And I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to disparage anyone, but just the, it reeked of not knowing some facts, right? Like it just, it started at a point that just seemed disingenuous on a few levels, not maybe not disingenuous, maybe just ignorant, maybe just someone who doesn't bet themselves, who was saying some things that were just false, right? Um, Odds are better offshore uh, in the reputable places. You know, that was one of the statements that leaps to mind where I'm just like, this is just tone deaf to me. I don't know if you had the same reaction to that. Well, I think you have to judge people what they say based on their, based on their motivations and their incentives, you know, and if, if it's, if on Twitter, someone who, you know, if who works for a site that get has affiliate deals with legal sports books is is trashing the offshore world that that probably you know there's probably a reason he's doing that him or her right I mean so I think it's uh, you have to look at people's motivations I, I truly believe that I mean there are people that um, back during the before the financial market financial sorry the housing crisis back you know the 2008 financial crisis um, were justifying what they were doing and saying. Um, Trying to actually, I'm, I'm I'm trying to remember that example, but um, basically, no people. I mean, 
people that were selling these mortgage-backed securities and everything saying they were, you know, the, the next great thing. And 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 yeah. there's people that people can justify a lot of things, right? And so, um, I guess you, I mean, you have to take the motivations into consideration. The fact that what's paying their paychecks. So, I think it's that simple. Uh, and and I don't uh, think these, I, I'm not saying these people like I'm not saying people that have the opinion that the offshore world is bad or good, you know, or, or wrong or anything like that. I'm just saying that you have to you, you start looking at things through a certain lens after a while, um, just based on your motivations and incentives. I think it just happens naturally. I don't think I'm not trying to say that people I'm, I'm not trying to say it's a conscious thing. Yeah. And, and I'm not listen, I'm not again, I'm not trying to disparage anyone. I guess what I'm saying is you have to start at some sort of factual basis, right? Like not every, nothing's black and white. Uh, not all, all is evil over there and all is good over here. In fact, in many respects, quite the opposite. So we have to, I, I think your cause, I guess what I'm saying is, is a very, as you point out, what a moment in time to do that of all times, right? Post uh, legalization here as jurisdictions uh, come online one after another, hopefully we get sports back sooner than later. So Rufus, and, and again, we're talking to Rufus Peabody, who uh, co-hosts the Bet the Process podcast uh, with Jeff Ma. Uh, I leave you with this, and, and I could go on and talk to you for hours. I always enjoy talking to you. But you and I used to, I don't know if you remember this, um, we used to go to this uh, restaurant there in Vegas. It had a, I, I want to say it was like a New Orleans um, it was a Cajun place, right? Right there Lola's. on the freeway. Lola's. That's right. Lola's, <clears> which, <throat> by the way, did not it did not make it onto Aaron Kessler's bracket. And Rhythm Kitchen, another Cajun place, did. So it is a seven seed. I don't know if you saw it. You know our friend Aaron Kessler. Yes. Yeah, he did a bracket of, you know, March Madness for for best restaurants in Las Vegas. Anyway, oh, Lola, Lola's didn't make it into the field, and Rhythm Kitchen was a seven, so I was upset about that. Anyway, I gotta, I gotta find that. Uh, I gotta find Kessler's bracket because I, I'm sure there are. Here's the thing with those kinds of brackets, though, you can only put in what you've been to, I guess, on those brackets. So there's mm -hmm. always going to be omissions, even if you know, if, if, for anybody who does. I, I want to see that. Uh, but Lola's big oversight on, uh, on his part. Maybe he's never been there. But you used to say, and, and we have about 90, we have about 30 seconds here or 60 seconds. You used to say that you wanted to do things beyond this. Do you still feel that way? Obviously, you have a passion, what we just discussed. But do you ever, I mean, I, I doubt you'll do that, you know, solely for the rest of your life. Do you ever think about other things? Is there some other arena that interests you? You're right. I mean, and so, oh, arena besides sports betting? I mean, I think, yes. I, I do think I want to do something business related. Um, I think it would be sports or sports betting related, probably, in some capacity, just because I feel like that's kind of where I've been in this for 10 years. I feel like that's kind of where my expertise is. I, I, in something else, I'd kind of be starting, starting anew in a way. Uh, obviously, the American Betters Coalition is not going to be a career. That's that's something that's that is not going to make money. It's a nonprofit. That's something that I want to do. Kind of is something to give back. But but I'm I'm looking at a few different things. But they are in sort of the sports world still in the sports analytics space. All right. So that I mean I I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. But it sounds like you've you're more comfortable in your own skin now than you were maybe five years ago. Is that true? I think so. I, or, or maybe I just realized that I uh, that I don't know. It's it's a lot harder to transition to something completely new. And the fact is, I, I still you know I, I like sports. And and I've I've talked with Jeff a lot about this actually. Um, Jeff and I have had a lot of discussions. And and he has Jeff's great because he has he has strong opinions about things. You may not agree with them, but he's going to give you his opinions. Yes, he so will. Been, yeah. Yes, he will. Um, Rufus, again, <clears throat> uh, sorry about my voice. I can't thank you enough. Um, again, Bet the Process is the name of the podcast. 
congratulations. Uh, I know you're engaged. We talked about that last time. Congratulations in advance uh, on your upcoming uh, wedding. And more than anything, man, um, so glad to hear that you and your uh, your bride-to-be are doing well after testing positive. Hopefully her test is negative today and all goes well there, man. Thanks so much, Rufus. Gil, thanks so much for having me. I always, always enjoy talking to you. Likewise. At Rufus Peabody on Twitter, by the way. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.